Welcome to Into the Fire, a Burning Coal Theater Company podcast series. Uh, This is Jerry Davis. I'm the Artistic Director of Burning Coal Theater Company, and I'd like to welcome everyone to Into the Fire, the Burning Coal Theater Company podcast series on all things theatrical and on occasion, some things uh, scientific as well. So um, we want to uh, introduce our guest today, Dana Boquin, who is head librarian at the John G. Walbach Library, Harvard and Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics. Um, that's a mouthful. Uh, Dana, welcome. Thank you for uh, for joining us on the podcast today. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> It is truly my pleasure. Uh, we're talking uh, to you specifically because on December 1st, we'll be opening a play um, uh, about uh, the sciences uh, called uh, Silent Sky by the playwright Lauren Gunderson. Um, and um, the play runs uh, December 1st through 18th here at Burning Coal in Raleigh. And Dana, I, just to start out, so so the, the Harvard and Smithsonian, I know the Smithsonian is more or less in D.C. and Harvard obviously is in Cambridge, Mass. Are you in one or the other or both? How does that work? Um, I'm actually so I am in a relatively unique position at the Center for Astrophysics where I actually work for both. So I have two separate jobs, separate paychecks, separate everything, um, because my library uh, serves the whole community. And so the CFA is made up of both Harvard academics as well as Smithsonian scientists who are working predominantly on missions funded externally uh, by NASA and others. And uh, so it's actually about three quarters of the community is Smithsonian. So there's about a thousand people. So it's about a little over 700 people there are Smithsonian and about 250 people are Harvard. And so my library supports the whole community. And so I have staff on both sides and I manage resources on both sides. So I, I actually have both hats. And m- most of the um, collection is is digital digitized now. Is that correct? Uh, oh my goodness! So we have a, an enormous collection. So some of our material is digitized. Some of it is not. When it comes to the glass plates, which are the uh, relevant material, I think for the majority of our conversation, yeah. there has been a massive effort underway for about two decades, actually, to uh, digitize that material, and it's about ninety percent done. So I could say more about plates and things like that, I guess, as we go. But a big portion of the glass plates are digitized, but there's plenty still to be done. And, and have you have you held them in your hands? Of course. Yes, <laughs> carefully, very carefully. I would imagine. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, let's uh, let's uh, step back just a second, though, before we go into Henrietta Levitt, who is the central character in Silent Sky. Can you can you just so so would you say that? Uh, work as a librarian is your focus or astrophysics or both? Oh, geez. So a librarian, our primary role is to facilitate the work of our community, right? So that means if you're a public librarian, that might mean one thing. If you're a librarian for a bunch of theoretical physicists and astronomers and astrophysicists, your day looks a little different. But um, my goal is really to kind of facilitate the work the community is doing. And so that means both providing resources that help them answer questions about the universe uh, to support their research, but also capturing, preserving, showcasing, amplifying their past work. So Mm -hmm. 
um, to make it so they can build on the work of others, hence managing uh, historical and archival collections in addition to um, the more contemporary material. More so, recent uh, uh, papers and uh, things like that. Uh, yeah. Uh, what, what, I'm just curious, what did you study to, to lead you into this field and, and how did you get interested in that? Oh, okay. Well, that's, so I don't know if anyone really grows up directly saying I want to be an astrophysics librarian. <laughs> um, so it's not really a direct path, but, uh, I grew up, uh, no one else in my family really went to college, but my, my dad was a draftsman. So I don't know if you know what that is. Someone who draws for engineers. Um, for an aeronautics company. And so he drew pictures of the space shuttle. And uh, basically, I grew up uh, looking at his drawings, being really enamored with space and being a big NASA geek. Um, so that's kind of where some of the inspiration and the love for the field comes in. But uh, I had a very uh, mixed up undergraduate experience. I couldn't quite figure out what I wanted to do. So I actually have a degree in English literature with minors in biophysics and psychology. And I was a pre-med student. So where, was, where was that? Uh, what university? Uh, uh, SUNY Geneseo. So it's actually just a state school in upstate New York. Yep. Um, after that, I went on realizing that uh, I didn't still didn't want know what I wanted to do, but I spent all my time in the library. I actually realized maybe that was where I should be. So I went to library school at Syracuse University. Mm -hmm. um, and later, as I became more and more clear to me that I wanted to be a librarian for scientists and I wanted to work with, um, I guess, people who are doing pure science, like unapplied science, uh, I decided that I should get another master's degree. So I have a second master's degree in data analytics. So I focus on computational math. Mm -hmm. um, so all over the place, but it did lead me back to space and uh, being a librarian for astronomers doing a lot of computational work. Is, uh, is, is NASA in your future, do you think? Oh, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Like, I've asked them for funding for things, so maybe, but I think uh, for now I'm where I'm at. Based on uh, last week, it seems like they might could use a few new new people over there. So. Um, uh, yeah. It's been dramatic. It's been kind of dramatic. Yeah, very, very much so. Um, uh, so can you, uh, just so uh, those of us who don't have uh, direct experience in these areas, uh, can you just uh, tell me what, what is astrophysics? Oh, okay. So most people, when you hear astronomy, you might have some sense of things, not astrology. Galileo, astronomy. Yeah. Yeah, astronomy, most people have a picture of a person, usually a man, sitting at a telescope, staring up into the heavens, writing notes and looking at charts. And right. astronomy is more traditionally like you think of it as the mapping and description of the heavens, of the sky and what's going on there. But astrophysics is this transition that we make where we go from, you know, describing what we see to trying to figure out the physics of how and why it operates the way that it does. So we go from describing the universe to trying to figure out why is the universe the way it is. Mm. So looking more at, um, you know, applying physics to what we see in space. And, and is it is it looking um, backward uh, to see how things got the way they are, or is it looking forward to 
uh, try to predict where things will be, or is it a combination of those things? It's kind of a combination of those things. So every time that we look up, we are looking back in time. We are looking back at things that have happened light years ago. So and uh, orders of magnitude and time that are kind of hard to 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 conceive sometimes. But sometimes you're looking at things like galaxy evolution. So how have galaxies come together and form new galaxies? So sometimes it is, you know, kind of reverse engineering how things are, but sometimes it is looking forward and trying to understand uh, what we could expect. So sometimes that's a bit more theoretical. Uh, if you look at something like uh, trying to understand dark energy, like why is the universe speeding up? Why is the expansion of the universe speeding up? That, that's, a, that's a question we still have and we don't know the answer to yet. So Einstein predicted that, right? He wasn't able to prove it, but he he had a, a sense that that was happening. Is that is that correct? Einstein predicted a lot of things that we still haven't yet either been able to prove or um, really run with yet. But uh, yeah, I think that uh, dark energy is is one of those those things that has been theorized about for a long time. We um, just coincidentally did uh, Galileo this last spring. Uh, uh, and cast a woman in the lead uh, lead role, which was a very interesting uh, uh, way of presenting the play. Um, women have not, and you referenced this earlier when you said usually the image that one has in one's head is of a man uh, in this field. Um, are you an outlier in the field, or are there uh, plenty of women working in this area now, or or in the sciences in general? I think there are a lot of, I mean, there are plenty of women working in the sciences and the women have always been there is kind of more the point that we want to make more often than not. It's more that the recognition of their roles has been lacking and their ability to operate in those spaces has been really curtailed by misogyny. So there have been uh, immense like leaps forward in terms of uh, the roles women have been able to play in the sciences, but uh, you're not talking that long ago when you say that, you know, women weren't allowed to operate the telescopes. Right. So things have really changed uh, for the better, but there's still a lot going on in terms of um, really kind of negative gender dynamics in the sciences more broadly. And that, that brings us to Henrietta Leavitt, uh, yeah. uh, who is the uh, lead, uh, the central character in the um, Silent Sky, uh, Lauren Gunderson's, I think, uh, quite beautiful and uh, um, sort of st stunningly uh, mild uh, presentation of how um, how she uh, managed to cope with that type of uh, situation in her life. There could be a much more um, uh, furious uh, telling of that story, I think. But um, but Henrietta seems to have. Um, um, and perhaps it was because it was what she herself expected at the time, but she seems to have been able to 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 find a way into that uh, world without um, um, uh, ostracizing everyone around her. Um, do you want to talk just a little bit about Henrietta Leavitt and, and what she means to the field uh, of astrophysics? And um, and what she means to uh, women uh, in the sciences. Yeah, so Henrietta is a very just kind of an unsung hero. Um, 
if you think about, like, it's hard to explain the impact without explaining a little bit of background. So um, up until Henrietta's work was done, uh, we had a very good flat map of the sky. So yeah. we didn't have the ability to tell how far away something was from us. So it's hard if you think about it as a light that's very bright in front of you. It's hard to tell if that light is any brighter or if it's just closer than another bright light source, right? So you could have two points that are very far away, but they could just be different in brightness, right? Or in size for that matter. And so up until the work that Henrietta did, we had a flat map of the universe. We didn't have depth. That was what we were lacking. And Henrietta, the work that she was able to do with variable stars. So variable stars are stars that uh, the brightness changes over time. They just, they change at a rate. She worked with Cepheid variables. And uh, through her brilliant deductions and observations and her diligence, she was able to detect a relationship between the brightness and uh, the star's period called the period luminosity relationship or the now the Levitt law. But basically the work she was able to do made it so we could start telling distance in space. So we started to have these standard candles, what they're called, by which we could measure depth. And so think about that. We go from having this flat map to having depth and the implications of that are profound. So if you, if you, you may have heard the name Hubble, that's yeah. the name that people have usually heard of because of the space telescope. Yeah. But Hubble is a person who we can thank for uh, helping us understand that we're not the only galaxy. So until relatively recently, until his work, uh, we did not uh, know for sure whether or not the Milky Way was the entire universe. Now we know there are billions of galaxies, right? Um, but until we could tell that another set of stars was so far away that they were their own mini universe, we didn't know that. Um, also, Hubble's work gives us the Hubble constant, the rate at which the universe is expanding. If you can't tell distance, you can't tell if something's expanding, right? And so Hubble was able to use Henrietta's work to tell us the fact that we're not the only that we're not the only galaxy. There's more than just the Milky Way. Right. Also, the universe is expanding, so we get the Big Bang. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, pretty much, you have Henrietta's work paving the way for a lot of our contemporary understanding of the structure, behavior, and size of the universe. That's remarkable, and she, and she wasn't um, she wasn't working on a big grant or something like that. She just did it um, more or less in her spare time. Is that is that a fair uh, description, or is that a little theatrical license in the play? Yeah, that might, that's a bit of theatrical license. So she was, and she would have. Uh, so she referred to herself as an astronomer. So mm -hmm. in the census records we have, so she saw herself as an astronomer. Uh, so she had earned her degree at Radcliffe. So she had studied astronomy, but yeah. this was one of the only ways that she was able to find a place in the field was to become a quote unquote computer. We refer to them as the women astronomical computers now, but there was a team of women working at the Harvard College Observatory, uh, working with glass plates. So these, uh, images taken of the sky uh, all over the world, uh, but both northern and southern hemisphere 
uh, representations of the sky. The women were allowed to work with those plates. This advent of photography made it so the women had a way of working with the astronomical data because they weren't allowed to work at the telescopes. And so it used to be the only way you could do astronomy was to look through a telescope. Now you could look at photos. And mm -hmm. so the work that she was able to do with photos was under the guidance of a man named uh, Edward Pickering, who uh, had a number of projects that she worked on, but uh, none of them were uh, with the intention for her to discover this relationship. That wasn't ever something she was tasked with doing. It was something she was just able to perceive. Right. And, and so the plates are an extension of, of the photographs. Is that is that correct? Well, the plates are the photographs. So we're talking about a time period here where we have glass plate photography. Mm -hmm. So this is before film. So okay. you'd have a very thin sheet of glass uh, ranging in size from about the size of a sheet of paper to about 14 by 17 inches. So some of them are much bigger. Um, but that sheet of glass would be covered with a photosensitive chemical emulsion that would be put under the eyepiece of the telescope and exposed in a very long or sometimes short, but relatively long exposure by modern standards. And then that plate would be uh, analyzed later by these women astronomical computers. Um, and th I mean, the story of how the plates get made are, is their own crazy story because they would uh, basically be produced in at Kodak in Rochester, New York, mm -hmm. and they'd have to be brought down the Erie Canal by doggies, so these very fragile things, brought down the Erie Canal into the port of New York, put, loaded onto ships, in some cases brought down to places like Arequipa, Peru, to get the Southern Hemisphere. They'd be put on the backs of more donkeys, brought up to the tops of mountains, exposed under telescopes, and then brought all the way back to Cambridge without breaking. Um, and so this was done in the uh, uh, the, the 19th century. So um, it was quite a feat. Talk about your supply chain issues. Wow, that's, yeah. that's quite a story. Uh, that would make its own uh, interesting um, uh, novel or plot, a yeah. uh, uh, movie or something. Uh, uh, when you were describing her her work, I was thinking about the Harrison clocks. Um, uh, was it, I think, John Harrison, maybe the the blacksmith, I believe, who um, who invented the, the clock that allowed um, longitude to be um, uh, charted? Do you know do you know the story of the Harrison clocks? And Not well, as well as you might think I would. But yeah, so I know that they allowed ships to determine longitude at sea. But mm -hmm. um, the, the broader story of longitude is kind of. Uh, not something I'm quite as uh, invested in, but uh, yeah. timekeeping has been incredibly important to astronomy um, right. from its beginnings. And at the Harvard College Observatory, where Henrietta was, the first um, directors of the observatory were actually clockmakers, too. So Interesting. It, so it sounds like you have a you have a, a historian lurking inside you somewhere. Um, uh, history seems like a, it, uh, it's something that fascinates you as well. Um, where do the arts sit with you? Um, I know that I believe, again, it was Einstein who said that that he valued creativity uh, over intelligence. Um, uh, and I'm just curious to know, um, more and more we're seeing in theater, especially, and, and in other arts, too, I think, uh, a, a focus on an interest in science is that um, 
uh, true in the opposite direction? Are, are science, uh, are people in the sciences interested in the arts? Do the, do, do, does theater or music or dance uh, enter into your life in any way that's that's useful or substantive? Absolutely. So we actually have going on right now in my library an art show for the scientists to showcase their own artwork, because I think creativity and astronomy come together in very interesting ways um, to, to create art. But I think uh, so art's going to mean something different to all of the different sciences, scientists and different domains. But in um, astronomy, I think that art has been both a way for people to express their science and are trying to articulate it, but also to give it meaning and make it clear to other people why it matters. So astronomy is distinctive in a lot of ways, but one of them is that it's not something that people are going to go make a business out of. <laughs> it's not something that, um, you know, is going to make people money in a very immediate way, the way that um, other industries might, other sciences might have more direct applications. And so um, it's, it's really like a kind of way of, you know, expressing the awe that they have for the field and why it matters. So getting people to inherently understand and appreciate the nature of reality is hard if you can't do that in a creative way. Yeah, or why so would it be worthwhile to do physics, which is so challenging? Um, yeah. You know, my uh, my my uh, brother-in-law, my wife's brother, was the the dean of science at MIT for a number of years, um, and uh, before that, had been the head of physics. And their father, uh, my wife and her brother's father, had been a physicist um, back in the 30s and 40s, uh, when uh, before the atom bomb had had been invented. And, and at that time, ph physics was um, not a particularly lucrative or re rewarding part of uh, sciences either, but things changed. And, and so I, I think maybe you, you know, one never knows where, uh, where history is going to take us. Um, um, well, it's, um, it's, it's a fascinating and, and uh, very interesting uh, story, uh, Ms. Levitt's story. And, um, what uh, I guess I would I would conclude, um, Dana, if you don't mind, uh, just by asking you kind of a broad, open-ended question of of what's next uh, in the world that you that you inhabit. What uh, what's coming down the pike uh, in this field? Is does it move, um, you know, at a more glacial pace? So you can't really answer that, or is it a, a, an aspect of the sciences? where things are happening so quickly that you can reasonably make a prediction about uh, the future? Well, in a lot of, I I'm, can't predict the future, but I can say at least with the glass plate collection, the work that Henrietta did, um, I can say that that, uh, that material being digitized, we're now able to not just create like a digital representation of it. We're not just taking a picture of the picture. We're right. able to pull data off of the plates. And so that data is going to be really useful to scientists who are looking at the long tail of astronomy. So trying to see how things evolve over time. It's called time domain astronomy. So if you look at uh, astronomy now, if you only look at born digital sources of information, you have a very short time frame of observations you're looking at, but we have data that go back over a hundred years. 
And so what we're going to be doing in the relatively near future is making all of that data available to people so that they can start studying, uh, you know, the evolution of the universe at a hundred year time scale, where before you only had a decade or two. So this is information that are that was on those plates, but we had not been able to access it uh, because of the lack of the technology. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, we have physical pictures that we need to get the data off of so people can incorporate that data into modern research. And so that's what's next. Yeah, that's fascinating. And just just uh, out of curiosity, um, why is it important? Why is it important? Why is astronomy important? I well, think, why, yeah, why do people want to know how we evolved and what, you know, what's the value of that? I I, uh, I know what I think it is, but I'm just curious to know what you think about it. Somebody who spends uh, their, their waking hours involved in this. Well, I think it's, a, I mean, it's a lot of things, but a big part of it is just the, you, how do you not want to know? Like, how do you not want to know where we came from, why we're here, how things work? I mean, understanding the nature of reality is a big deal. If you don't, if you're not curious about that, I can't explain it to you. But if you are curious about it, this is how you answer those questions. And so if you, if you, if you care about the question, you care about the pursuit, I guess. It's it's an exploration um, in in the same way, I guess, that, that people explored the face of the earth for um for centuries and uh, the next the next uh, place to look is, is yeah. uh, why do we look at the bottom of the ocean why do we why do we climb mountains right right i guess why the same we keep, thing uh, we keep trying to tell in, in our field we keep trying to tell new stories uh, even though they they may have already all been told but uh, but we keep trying to find new ways of telling the stories that matter to people as well um, Dana Boquin, this has been uh, fantastic, and I think it will be really um, useful for our audiences um, uh, as they get ready to to meet Henrietta Leavitt uh, and um, and the people from the Harvard uh, Observatory. So uh, so thank you for your uh, time. We appreciate it, and um, and all the best in the future. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you for listening. This Burning Coal production is sponsored by The Classical Station. Listen at 89.7 FM or online at theclassicalstation.org. Our production of Silent Sky will run from December 1st to the 18th. For tickets and information, visit us at burningcoal.org or give us a call at 919-834-4001.